on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you what we're watching for in OU Iowa State, and we preview the matchup with Jeff Woody. We also preview the best games of week five in college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, September 27th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of September, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now we're recording this Wednesday morning. Leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. I saw it like half our watch hours. People aren't subscribed, Ted. We need people to subscribe to Go the YouTube channel. That matters. Help it. us out. This is this is not going to be an easy football game for Oklahoma this weekend. I don't think so either. Now, it's weird. I don't think it's going to be an easy football game but it's hard to find a scenario that where they don't win. Does that make sense? Completely I, agree. I, 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 it's I don't be think tough and it's going to be low scoring, but let me know if this doesn't make sense. I, I don't think with what I've seen from Iowa state, I don't think they can beat Oklahoma, but I think Oklahoma could beat Oklahoma in this game. <laughs> right. Does that yeah. make sense? Yes, okay. that's right. It's kind of like uh, if you saw that Oregon, like the extended clip, like that five-minute movie documentary they made of the Colorado game at the end, whenever he says, who do we have next week? Who's Who do we play next week? And they all said Oregon. I, I think that's one of those games for Oklahoma. They play Oklahoma this week, not Iowa State. I I completely agree. All right, let's dive in to what we're watching for. Ted, let's start on the defensive side of the ball for the Sooners. What are you watching for from OU's defense against that Iowa State offense? Well, I, I think we're in a really good spot um, with what we saw against Cincinnati. Um, I think this defense is really starting to get into a groove. I think that they, um, you know, just judging by what the players are saying, I think they 
I think it's all starting to come together for him. And and then, you know, whenever you see your 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 defense up there in the statistics, like number two scoring defense in the country, like all of those things, you start to have a little bit of pride about what's going on, right? And I think they're feeling that, and I think they're dialed in. So I like where we're at coming into the game. Now, Iowa State's offense, it, it's it's interesting. I like some of the things that they do, but I don't know that they're very good at any of them. Um, Rocco Beck, that quarterback, you know, he's actually efficient, completes a lot of passes. I think, you know, he's, he's near 70% completion percentage, but they don't push the ball down the field a whole heck of a lot. Running game hasn't been very strong for him, and that hurts him, makes life way more difficult on him. Um, I think they're they're just inexperienced at a lot of positions on offense. You know, the the gambling situation and losing players hurt them, and, and as a result, they're super young. Um, a couple of things that we have to be really good. It's one of the things that's similar to the Iowa State offenses of the past that I really like is a not a bunch of different personnel groupings, but different players within like when they go 12 personnel, this is funny, Gabe. Do you take a guess at how many tight ends they have on roster? Eight, nine, 11, 11, 11 tight ends on roster. Now they have their main group. They have four guys that, get the most snaps for them but there's a bunch of different body types within there like some of them are gigantic like six seven 265 pounds other guys a little smaller a little leaner so you know it's the same technically it's still 12 personnel but you've got different bodies in there that they'd like to do different things so we've got to be tuned into that um a lot of shift a lot of unbalanced They'll align in unbalanced and then shift or motion to uh, a traditional formation. Uh, it's I call it unbalanced. It's end over. You know, you've just got the tight end or the tackle exposed on one side. They'll get to that a bunch of different ways. A lot of different motions, a lot of different shifts. They'll align in empty, motion a back, back into the backfield. They'll align with the back of the backfield, shift to empty or motion to empty. So there's a lot of a moving pieces there that we've got to be really tied in on. Um, but as far as run game, there's uh, like nothing split zone, a little bit of stretch outside zone, a little bit of insert, but they don't do a whole lot. I uh, used to what a couple of years ago, you'd get power, you'd get counter, you'd get like all kinds of different motion out of the backfield stuff and get you know all kinds of gap scheme stuff but they're not doing a whole lot of that right now so i i will be shocked if we don't absolutely stuff the run against iowa state because of how simplistic it is or has been they don't rocco beck at quarterback they don't use him in the run game um i think he's a he's a mobile guy can move around pretty well but they don't have called run with him um so it's pretty straightforward stuff we should be able to to really dial in and stop the run 
passing game, not a whole lot. You're going to get they're going to get some boot. You're going to get some sprint pass. They like to move the pocket with him to help out that offensive line. Um, you're going to get like basic stuff, I right? China concepts, spacing concepts, um, like a little like some some clear out and you know dig or out route underneath the clear out routes. Not a whole lot of variety in this offense. And another thing is because they're a defensive team, they operate incredibly slow. They had 46 snaps offensively against Ohio. 46. Um, It's just, it's a very vanilla offense. And I, I think we should perform really good against it. I... I'm going to be very surprised if OU's defensive line doesn't dominate this football game. I don't think their offensive line is any good, especially at the tackle position. I I don't think they're very athletic at the tackle spot, 66 or 75. So if you force, if you force them into obvious passing situations, I think OU's defensive ends can get after those two guys in pass rush situations, especially like PJ. I think if you line PJ up over 66, their right tackle, I love that matchup. Absolutely yeah. love that matchup. And you heard Vittables. He wants more PJ. So <laughs> That's a good thing. We get more PJ. I I just, I, I think the game, like the offensive success for Iowa State, it's going to come down to Rocco Beck, man. And he's pretty fun to watch on tape. Like, I mean, he is pretty fun to watch, but I just don't see, there's no space in the running game for them. And one thought I had, Ted, is corners, safeties, got to be ready to come up and make some tackles because any success they've had in the running game, it's just there being a crowd in the middle and the ball just bounces to the edges. Right, it's not designed to go there. It just ends up going there, and they found a little success doing that. But other than that, it just the running game has not been there for Iowa State. And it's it, that's a that's a bad combination. Whenever you've got a quarterback like backed in, where you know he's he's he, not their first choice. I think he is getting better. I think their offense is is slowly getting a little bit better. They're finding some things, but. My goodness, uh, an inexperienced quarterback, the best friend is a really good running game. And when you don't have that, it's going to make life really difficult on him. Yeah, I, I, we should be able to stop the run and make him incredibly predictable. And because of the mismatch, I think, with our defensive line against their offensive line, they're going to have to keep guys in to max protect. So they're it's going to be tough for them to get four and five wide out. So I – it's hard to envision a day where, I mean, we may give up some plays. They may make some, some, some stuff happen. And, you know, with all the shifts in motion, they may get us, you know, out of whack on a play and be able to, to, to hit us on something big, but man, I, I just, it's hard to envision giving up more than like 14, 10 or 14 points, isn't it? I'm with you. The two notes I have, Right, because I was I was just trying to think as I was watching their offense, how can Iowa State do some damage against Oklahoma's defense? And I 
I really think it's, hey, you got to make anyone but Jalen Noel beat you. 13 yeah. can run. I mean, he can absolutely run. You can see it on the tape. The guy can fly. Make anyone but that guy beat you. And then Ben Bramer, the freshman, tied in 18. The guy looks enormous. We saw we saw Cincinnati's tied in, right? Mateo have a couple, couple big plays in that game. Cannot give up the big plays to Bramer. By the way, I think he's their next stud tight end. He looks good. Yeah. But they split him out. Like he's the guy, like I was talking about tied in, like personnel wise, it's maybe it's 12, but it's different. If 87 and 49 are in, those are like the meatheads. Uh, it's a little bit different than whenever 18's out there. They're going to split him out a lot. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Iowa State's offense, OU's defense? I think that's it. I think they are. It's a different team whenever they don't have an elite back in Brees Hall. I think they are below average at running back, and you know, obviously, in some other spots that that affects that. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about our defense having a nice day. What point total? Like, would nothing crazy happen? I feel like you always got to throw that caveat. What if they score over fourteen? You'll be disappointed. Over 10? I I don't think we we should not give up two touchdowns. Do we force three or four field goals in there? However that goes because of some field position stuff or turnovers. I I I just can't envision them punching it in twice against us. So like however you want to add that up, 10 or 13. I I think that's that's realistic, and I honestly think zero is realistic as well. Well, all right then. Okay, all right. Let's we talk got, about what we're if we're legit top five scoring defense in the country, and that's not just a result of our schedule. Then we should we should hold this team to below what our average is. All right, I like it. I like it. All right, let's talk about things we're watching for for OU's offense versus that Iowa State defense. Okay, first of all, the structure. You should know by now, Sooners fans, it is, it's the 3-3-5. It's the three-safety defense. John Haycock is the, the go-to guy, their defense coordinator. He is the go-to guy for this structure of defense. You've heard Venables talk about how when he was at Clemson, he went and met with Coach Haycock and that staff to learn more about it. Now, They'll be in a three-down structure. They'll also they're playing more four-down, an even front. So two defensive linemen on either side of the center, uh, playing more of it this season than I remember them playing in the past. And here's where here's where I'll start. The offensive line for Oklahoma has to play well, and they have to play with great technique and great effort or this defense will expose you. Their defensive linemen, and I, I don't think they've got a first-rounder in the bunch or anything like that, but, Ted, they play with such good pad level, great hand placement, really good physicality, and you hear Venables talk about strain all the time. These dudes battle. These dudes strain. That's It's one of the reasons why they're so good defensively. They just play harder than the other team. And OU's offensive line 
you have to match that attention to detail and technique, and you have to match that strain. Or else it's going to be a long day. Like 58, J.R. Singleton. That dude, I can barely see his helmet when I'm watching him on tape. He is low and he is straining. Dominic Gorn's 95. The big dude straining all the time. So I, I know it sounds simple, but the O-line's got to play with great technique and they got to play their asses off. Or the run game, it's just not going to be there, man. I promise you. They have to play their best game of the year or else it's going to be a long day running the football for OU. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting to think about, like, for for example, think about our defensive line. Uh, I would say it's got to be 80% of the time we are either running a stunt, some type of stunt, twist, or a blitz, right? Which means you're kind of, you're hitting a gap and um, sometimes you're looping. So we don't get nearly as much just butt and work an offensive lineman. Iowa State, that's all they do. All 58 does every single day in practice is boom, right there. That's it. Every day, practice, game, it's the same exact technique over and over and over. That's why they're so good at it. And it's hard to move those guys out of there. You walk up to the line of scrimmage and you're watching the game on TV or in the stands. And it's like, oh my God, look at all that space. They got they got a uh, a head up nose and they got four eyes. You should be able to just plow right through the middle of that thing. And you snap the ball and it just goes. It doesn't go anywhere. It's it's impressive to watch. Yeah. So that leads to some some thoughts I have about OU's run game in this game. We talk about this every single year when they play Iowa State. Wide receiver blocking is huge. This defense, it creates odd angles with their structure and with how they fit some things in the secondary. Wide receivers have to fight like hell to dig out these support players. They got to go flying in there, reckless abandon, to get where they need to be to affect the run plays. It's not easy, but it's got to happen. And if the wide receivers don't don't fly in there and get those types of blocks, you're probably not going to run it at a high level. So, and Emmett Jones has been all over those guys about blocking at a higher level. They've done a great job up to this point. We'll see how they do against this defense. Now, the uh, looking at the game last year, the most successful stuff a year ago was outside zone. And was that G lead play, like it plays attacking the edges of the defense, right? Getting out more in space, getting out, getting away from what I would call the crowd that their structure creates. And I, I think we could see a lot of that again, right? And the, the G lead play, right? The front side guard pulls, kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage, and then a tight end body inserts, right? And is leading through the hole. That stuff, it should be good, right? Attacking the edges. We just haven't seen OU have a ton of success running in between the tackles this season, right? With the variations of the zone concepts. So 
What do you think of that, Ted? I I think it's going to be a more edge-oriented type of run game, or at least I think that's where they're going to find the most success. I agree, and I I I still think that the quarterback's going to be or needs to be involved in that. I mean, I just I don't feel good enough about our traditional run game that we can we can just continue to handle. I think that in order to help open up space and attack the edge a little bit more like you're talking about, I think Dylan Gabriel's going to have to be involved, um, you know, keeping it around the perimeter, um, you know, even some of that zone read stuff where you, you do it with the motion guy. As much as we give, we run those quicks. You can also see people run, run them with the quarterback option off the back end. I agree with you. I I think that's the best way to attack it. And I think that, you know, where maybe we've been lacking in the interior in the run game, I I feel like we've got an edge. And now this is going to be a tough one, but you're talking about the wide receiver blocking. I feel like that's been one of the strengths of the offense up to this point. So, yeah, capitalize on it. Yeah. No, it's it's been impressive. And it's got to continue to be really, really good in this one. One more run game thought. It seems like the best way to get them to misfit some stuff is to just play with their keys and do weird stuff with the ball handling in the backfield or or weird things with, you know, a tight end or H-backs footwork or a running backs footwork. It's like these guys are so well-trained and you saw Iowa do some interesting stuff with their backs footwork. You go back to last year's game, right? The handback action that we saw Levy implement for this game. It seems like that's the easiest way to mess with their keys, like because they're so well trained to react to certain things. And if you do something, it causes a, a, a weird reaction. It just it looks weird watching it on tape. No, I I agree, and it's one of those things where, as a defensive player, and it's probably this way to a degree on offense as well. But you have there's only a couple of different things that you get like you get like inside zone blocking that looks a certain way with the combos and everything you get outside where it, you know, you have some flat things and you get gap stuff. That's pretty much what you're going to get. There's like trap and there's some different things in there that you got to keep your antenna up for, but the back's footwork usually marries to those schemes if it's inside zone the back like turns his shoulders it's really it's to get you know guys flying lateral and then he turns it and goes downhill on stretch it's more of just like he turns at an angle and takes it and then and then bounces outside on power and counter you get like a he'll step back and then it's a timing thing so all of that footwork marries like if i get that that step with the back I know it's gap skiing or I know it's counter or power. If I get the wide shoulders that turn, I know it's inside zone. When the back's footwork doesn't marry with the blocking scheme up front, it screws your whole mind up. It's like, what, what is happening? It's like those two things aren't like meshing together like they typically should. And I th- that can be a great way to really screw up a defense's uh, run fits. Yeah. So we'll see. I I would assume Levy's going to have something. Just don't know what it is. 
uh, some past game thoughts. You got any, you got something else? Well, I was just going to make a, a comment on that. Last year, Levy schemed this defense really well. They had a bunch of wide open stuff. They did take advantage of all of them, but this is one of the better games we played last year. Uh, and really, it wasn't in a time that we were playing great football. And we put together, we beat Iowa State by more than anyone else did a year ago, I think. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. There's going to be some stuff. We'll see how successful it is. Maybe this is the game where the run game gets going a little bit. A few pass game thoughts. I'm interested in seeing how Lebby creates matchups to attack 17 and five. Because I believe if the protection is good, I think we have multiple guys that can run by those guys. Now, 17, Freeler, he's their middle safety. And then five, Miles Purchase, he's one of their corners. I I like the mentality Purchase has. He's really physical when it comes to being in the run fit. But I don't think he runs particularly well. Like, if you can find ways to get Andrew Anthony on him, I like that matchup. Now, I do think we're going to get a lot of Andrew Anthony versus TJ Tampa, which should be fun, right? TJ Tampa right now, I think a lot of people think he's going to be a, you know, borderline first round, second round type of guy at corner. So I'm hoping we get to see a lot of that. But creating matchups on 17 and five and then attacking the middle of the field because I do not think they've, they've got some inexperience at inside linebacker. I don't think those guys have a tremendous understanding of how to relate right now in their zone coverage, their space in the middle of the field. I believe there's money to be made in the middle of the field, Ted. No, I, I agree. Um, that's not a huge strength of ours up to this point, um, attack in the middle of the field in the passing game, but starting to there's a few concepts starting to creep their way in that I think we we can um, can get some stuff going there, and uh, I I agree. This is Iowa State. If you just take what they give you, you can have success. You got to fight the urge to force something. You feel like, man, I we're just nickel and diamond. We need to hit them for a big play. If you have that mentality, oftentimes that's how they make you pay it's okay to continue to take what they give you because I do think there's plenty of stuff there underneath and we've got to be good after the catch. You know, if we can, if we can find some space in the zone coverage and let some of our athletes make some plays after the catch in space could, could turn into some nice gains. Yep. And then I've got one very specific kind of in the weeds thing here. And I I don't know if there's, a way to tell when they're going to do it, but on second and long or third medium to long, they will get into a five up or six up look, right? There'll be a couple defensive linemen and then there'll be their linebacker bodies standing up towards the line of the scrimmage. And in that situation, Bo Freeler, number 17, will be standing up there and he has the running back man to man. It's on every clip I've watched from this season. It's the same thing. He's got the running back man to man. So do we have a running back that can run good routes? Can Lebby scheme some things open to get 17 lost in the wash? Or do we have a running back that can route him up? 
because you should be able to take advantage of that matchup. I, I just don't know what running back, like who, who would let me trust to give that responsibility? Like who is a sudden route runner of the group? I, I don't know. We've seen Marcus major catch some stuff out on the edge, but we need a guy to be able to run like an angle route, Texas route, whatever you want to call it, or a little option route and just make this guy look silly. Cause the opportunity is there and it could be a, it could result in a very big play. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can make it really difficult on him by, uh, like you said, make him go through some traffic, you know, start with the wide receiver. That's fairly tied to the core motion in, create a bunch look for him on the fly and then, you know, pick him off on a swing route, you know, in traffic or, you know, now that, it's bunch. He knows, oh my gosh, there's a lot of trash there. I've got to loosen up, give myself some space to get over that. And then that's when you run the Texas route, right? You get him going. He has to get over the the trash and then you option back into the middle of the field and, and try and hit him on that. So yeah, I I think that's a that's something great. We don't do a whole well, no really no one in college does a whole lot of that. It's odd. I think it's a it's an easy way to create some mismatches and 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 work on those backers. So I would love to see that. Yeah. You got anything else? I think we're all interested in what's going to happen at left guard. We'll see. Um, a lot of people want to talk about the running back rotation. In fact, there's where that's, that's where our first call your shot is taking us. I'm sure. I'm, we I'm asked sure you guys, number okay. one thing you're watching for, uh, this one comes from G G Stambaugh who says, got to be running back. Venables called them out. Who wants to claim RB1? Did he call uh, calling him out? I guess he said a guy hasn't emerged, right? And then he got asked about Sawchuck uh, and and Barnes, and he said, well, we could practice. You know, that's so, I, yeah, the, the running back rotation, that situation continues to be a, uh, a talking point among the fan base. Yeah. Well, and I understand why, you know, the run game has been lacking and, you know, I think you can point to some, some different reasons as to why. I mean, I don't think the offensive line has been overwhelming. I do think they're getting better, but it's just, and you heard Venable say this at Rudy's on Monday, I, we've got to be able to make a guy miss and, you know, there's going to be loaded boxes. There's going to be unblocked guys. You've got to be able to make that guy miss, stay on your feet. There's just – they're batting a 1,000 against us on the shoestring tackles, right? We've got to be able to step through those and and, and really make some defenses pay. And, you know, we've seen a lot of guys, and we just haven't seen anyone really step up to say, like, that guy's – He's got the he's got the the most explosiveness. We we've, we've got to get him the ball more. No one has really stood out from the crew yet. Right. This other one comes from at four o two D's, who says this is one of the best all around defenses we will see all year. It's definitely not a game where we can afford to miss on anything that they give us. Would love to see limited drops, overthrows, and please run the damn ball. That's an interesting point, right? You got to take what this defense gives you. Dylan Gabriel's got to be patient, right? You can't get bored with gaining seven, eight, 
nine in the throw game. But yeah, you this is with the way that Iowa State wants to play, you're gonna have limited opportunities offensively. Most likely. They're they're gonna want to shorten this football game. So gotta be crisp when it comes to the execution, Ted. Crisp. Crisp and coming off the Cincinnati game, it was not a good field position game for us, special teams wise. We if you're gonna play in a what seems like could be a low scoring game two good defenses out there, a field position battle. You have to be good in special teams, and we've got to get back on that. We were doing really, really good to start off the season, a couple of explosive plays, creating creating some havoc there on special teams, and then we stepped back to the pack quite a bit against Cincinnati. We've got to get back to making that an advantage of ours because that is going to matter in this game. Yep. All right, now birthday shout-outs have been moved to the end of the podcast. It is the time of year when we start to get a bunch rolling in. So if you sent one in, it'll be at the end. Don't worry. Didn't go away completely. We just put it at the end because it's there's a lot of them, okay? But let's <laughs> learn a little more about Iowa State from Jeff Woody. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Loves Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Loves Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Loves Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Loves Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone. And of course... Don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamori. It's hunting time in Oklahoma. And if you're looking to buy hunting property, the land doctors can help you find the ideal ranch. They build custom hunting lodges and lakes, can turn Oklahoma's raw land into your personal playground. If you'd like to sell some land or simply just want to add to your portfolio, give Colton Cole a call at 405-615-7645 or visit LandDoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with an ice-cold beer from Coupe Ale Works. You can enjoy it at the Palace on the Prairie, at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more, for more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit SchoonerAle.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, here's Jeff Woody. It is our pleasure to be joined by a former Iowa State running back. He's also an analyst for Cyclone Fanatic. He does a bunch of other stuff. He owns a bunch of gyms. He's he's a very he's a very busy man, but he took time to join us. Jeff Woody is in the house. Jeff, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm uh, just chilling and it's finally getting a little bit of fall up here in the Midwest. So we're got a nice like 61 degree morning with a little bit of crisp air. It's it's a plus football weather right now. That is that sounds amazing. We're not quite there yet here in in the state of Oklahoma. (laughs) We're not quite there yet, but uh, let's let's dive into this football team. Defense, the strength of the team as it has been for quite some time. Where where do you think this defense kind of stacks up with the defenses we've seen from Iowa State here recently? 
Um, secondary is better. Linebackers are a little worse. So as and this is, I mean, on a on a a comparative scale, uh, Iowa State defenses and this one in is the same. They're really really solid. Uh, the secondary players, there's probably four or five NFL guys in the secondary right now with uh, TJ Tampa. He's a 6'2", like 205-pound corner that plays, I mean, that's unreal. Jeremiah Cooper's got three picks and a pick six already this year. And in the Iowa game, now granted, it's Iowa's offense, so we're not, it's not really like a huge flex. But whenever Luke Lachey, who's a six foot seven tight end, motioned out, he was getting covered by him. Jeremiah Cooper, who's all of 5'11", and Lachey had three catches on the day. And so Cooper's a, a great player. Bo Freeler's a great player. He plays a lot in the run. So secondary is really good. The linebackers are really young. So um, we're kind of in like, how does this, this defense stack up against Oklahoma's offense? Just like as a, as a matchup where Oklahoma is strong, Iowa state is also strong and where Oklahoma is weak or relatively speaking, like in the running game, Iowa state also kind of matches that with an inexperience. So the linebackers, there's, uh, Gary Vaughn, who may or may not play depending on his health, he is the only upperclassman in the linebacker room, pretty much. So you have a lot of freshmen and sophomores that are playing. They're all really talented guys, but they're all babies. So linebackers are inexperienced. Defensive line is uh, a lot better than what a lot of people would have expected. And there's a guy that uh, a lot of his name is Dominic Orange. He's 6'6", 335. Uh, he's a guy who doesn't really fit the mold of what you'd think of as a big 12 defensive lineman, unless you're Texas, Oklahoma, Texas or Oklahoma, but he is that type of big run stopper. So secondary is the strength. Defensive line is pretty darn solid. Linebackers are young and getting better, but the defense is, I mean, John Haycock is, you, you got to tip your cap and say like, all right, defense is going to be fine under Haycock. What do you think? Um, like just to bolster the run defense, um, like you talked about the, the, maybe the front seven, or I guess in, in your guys' uh, case, the front six, what do you expect them to do? You think they're going to add pressure? Are they going to dedicate safeties to the box a little bit more? What do you think uh, is something they may have to do? Well, I think the thing that they got to do is they the safeties are really involved in the run game. Um, the the two guys that are most involved are Bo Freeler, who's like 6'1", 6'2", about 215. I mean, he's he's built like a a small linebacker and he's the middle field safety and usually the middle field safety. Um, Cause I believe Oklahoma plays sort of a, sometimes will play that three, three, five stack where that middle safety is, it's like a linebacker and a half is where the position that they play. And then the other guy who may or may not play also is Malik Verdun, who's six, four, two twenty. Well, those guys are generally going to be C gap players. So especially with some young linebackers, which they're most of the time they're in the right spot and they're getting better as the season season has gone on. A lot of times those guys will have to play down in the running game. Um, but the other thing that, that they have the advantage of is because the secondary is so good, the way that the defense is constructed, the cornerbacks between Tampa and purchase, they are relied upon more for contain responsibility than what another defense usually would. So usually in, in a lot of defenses, corners are sort of like if if the ball gets to the corner, something bad happened versus in this defense, a lot of times, especially with younger linebackers, they'll put responsibility on those corners to be a little bit more aggressive towards setting the edge and making the running back turn in. And then it's a lot easier for a, a linebacker, a young linebacker to, to see ball, hit ball when you have a corner that's turning it back to help. And those guys are really physical, especially, I mean, Miles Purchase, he's like, five nine five ten but the dude is a pit bull so he's a guy that's really good at being aggressive so i think the 
the experience and the skill level of the secondary to play the run without overcommitting to it has made it so this young linebacker group can still be effective and not, you know, I don't want to say get exploited, but not necessarily uh, get in over their heads where you can kind of, it's like the training wheels for a linebacker. You look at the defense so far this year, and this kind of kind of pertains to what we saw from them defensively a year ago, really consistent, but for whatever reason have, given up some big plays like that that has been the issue right you you saw it against Oklahoma State what 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 do you think's going on with that right because the defense as a whole it's it's pretty much designed to not give up those big plays and really that's when people are scoring points it's mostly because they have some type of breakdown in coverage or something like that what what's going on with that yeah I think that the there's two or three big plays in the Oklahoma State game, and there is, I think, only one. Because in the Ohio game, nothing happened. That was awful. Uh, in the Iowa game, there is one big run on a third down where there was just a misfit by a backup safety who was spelling somebody. Um, so if you, and then in the Oklahoma State game, there was two big plays, and in one of in each one of those kind of three big plays that have been given up throughout this season. And if you kind of go back to last year, it's sort of the same thing, which is. There's a lot of communication that's required back and forth because when you're playing three safeties, but sometimes you're going to be playing whether it's two man under or that one safety has a run responsibility and you have to understand where your buddy's going to be. The other thing that so pair that with the fact there's a lot of communication that's necessary pair that with the fact that Iowa State in the Iowa game had, I think. 28 guys recorded defensive statistic so and that was a one score game so you're it's not like you're just putting in a bunch of guys when you when it's scrub time so they'll rotate a ton of guys in there so like as an example the 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 big touch the biggest play in the Oklahoma State game was a 61 yard touchdown pass to a running back well they motioned the running back out to a wide receiver position and a backup middle linebacker was going with him and they essentially forgot to play an over-the-top zone because they miscommunicated where they had to be. So you have a one-on-one with a running back on a backup linebacker. Well, a backup linebacker is not bad once or twice, but if you get the right situation, the right play call, Mike Gundy's a smart dude, know when to when to take advantage of those things. Like the fact they play a ton of guys and it requires a lot of communication, every once in a while you're gonna you're gonna stumble into one of those situations where you miscommunicate with the wrong guy in there. Um and with an offense like Oklahoma's that is a thing that I would imagine they're going to try and button up as much as they can, but you can, you can't prevent Oklahoma from being Oklahoma forever. Do you expect, uh, I, I, I just, I kind of feel like as Oklahoma's gotten better defensively and the defense is the strength of Iowa state's team. Uh, if they're, if they're going to have a chance in this game, if they're going to, you know, be in the fight, they're probably going to have to create something defensively. Do you feel like maybe because of that, they're going to get a little bit more aggressive than they typically do? Bring me, bring some more pressure, try and heat Dylan Gabriel up a little bit to force a mistake or some negative yardage plays. Well, I perhaps, and, and I think the, the first thing is going to be to stop the run because Oklahoma's run game hasn't really gotten really going this year to the point where you'd really want it. Cause I think even in the, when you're beating the pants off of somebody in the two games that was like 50 point wins, I think the most rushing yards that Oklahoma's gotten the season is like 120, 116, something like that. Um, so if you're able to keep that down, 
then you force Gabriel to be really accurate 100% of the time because that's the, like you were talking about, the, the, the whole goal of this defense is that I don't think you, as a group of 18 to 22-year-old kids, can execute for 14 consecutive plays for 10 drives in a row. I don't think that you can do that. And by stopping the running game, you force a quarterback to be really accurate because if you get to be first and 10, you run for a minus one yards. Now it's second and 11. Well, you have to complete passes against a defense that's set up to not give up big plays. You're going to be third and seven. And can you convert third and seven? Maybe, maybe not. And that's kind of the goal. So if I would say the, the primary responsibility they're going to go into this is making sure Oklahoma's run game doesn't get going. And if that's the case, then they're probably going to take their chances at, yeah, if they can bring a little bit of pressure, confuse Gabriel, yes. But otherwise, I mean, he's so efficient. He's so accurate most of the time. It also might be they're going to play a little bit tighter coverage, like play a little bit more press to make sure that you can't just hang out for 12 seconds and find somebody that's open. If you play a little bit tighter, bring a little bit of pressure, you force the ball to get out of his hand. And if he's going to complete it, why not complete it for four yards instead of for 25? Let's talk a little bit about the Cyclones offense. Struggling to run the ball. I know that has to cause you pain as a former oh, running back. What's what what have the main issues been? Why why can't they get the running game going? So there's two kind of two parts to it. Uh part number one is that execution has been lacking on the offensive line and in the tight end group. So the tight end group, there's like five or six of them that are huge. They're Six, 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 seven, 250, 260 pounds, but they're also babies. I think they only have one or two upperclassmen, and one of them has been hurt pretty much the whole season. So the tight ends haven't been able to get as much push as they want. And then the offensive line, they just, I don't know if it's just been bad communication or bad personnel, but like, I mean, you're an offensive lineman on a comp. Like the thing that's been really bad is combo blocks. If, if I'm a guard and you're a center, and we're going through the defensive tackle to get to the linebacker. You and I have to be on the same page on how long we're going to stay on this defensive tackle before one of us leaves to go get a linebacker. Well, it's either been way too long or not near enough time. And so the combo blocks have been really bad. And when you're running a zone offense, the combo blocks have been really bad. That's not great. So on one hand, execution has been pretty poor. On the other hand, the Oklahoma State game, they finally they they broke their own tendency and actually allowed Rocco Becht to throw the ball around the yard because what teams were doing is that their secondary players, so like Oklahoma State plays like a poor man's version of Iowa State's defense at 3-3-5-ish, and that middle safety who has run responsibility, they're putting that guy at like seven yards. So he's technically not in where your blocking assignments are, but he's so close that he's going to be an unblocked defender. So when you add bad run blocking to a guy that you can't account for, you're not going to be able to run the ball. So what they finally did in the Oklahoma State game is they finally just threw to where he was. So they had seven or eight pass plays of 20 yards or more, and most of them were right over where that safety was. So by the time they got to the end of the game, they're able to run for six, seven, eight yards a clip because that safety finally had to get pulled out of the box. So schematically, they haven't helped themselves because they've been running into loaded boxes and execution-wise, it hasn't been good. So they fixed or addressed the first problem of schematically getting out of their own way. And if a guy's committed too much of the playing safety's way up, finally let him throw it. Uh, but just o- offensive line and tight ends have not executed to the point where they need to. And 
boy, you're talking about so like fullback, H back, tight, fullback, running back, H back. Those positions I played, and when when you have to watch really bad zone blocking schemes, oh, it's uncomfortable. Are you surprised? You know, when I think back a couple of years ago, which you still get a lot of, you know two and three tied in a lot of shift, a lot of unbalanced uh, formation stuff, but not a lot of gap scheme. There was, there was a lot of gap scheme with Brees Hall, a lot of counter, a lot of power, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, are you surprised that they've kind of gone away from that? Or is that, is that a personnel thing? It just doesn't match who they have. I, it might be a personnel thing um, because the, the offensive line is really big, but they're not, I mean, I, they also, so let me take a step back to one of the things that has harmed this offense as far as executing is sort of like the elephant in the room, which is last year, before last year, uh, so in the 2021 season, you have Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, Brock Purdy, uh, you know, the, the the whole offensive line is upperclassmen, and you lose those guys going into 2022, and you replace them, and last year they're young, and uh, they got you got a new quarterback, new running back, and new tight ends and whatever. And then last year into this year, you were expecting to have that type of that depth back. But then the whole gambling thing happens and you lose your starting quarterback, you lose your starting running back, you lose an offensive tackle and you lose a starting tight end. So if you lose, if the offensive line and tight ends aren't as effective as you need to be and the running backs are really young, well, you're out a starting running back, a starting tackle and a starting tight end from last year. So they're all young figuring it out. Um, So because of the whole gambling situation, you have two back-to-back teams that are really young. So they might, when they've been kind of assessing what they have, they might actually be, by the time the season's over, better off in more of this zone scheme stuff because they see that that's where the potential of the team is. But they're just, everything is so new because of the situation that they're in that they're just not executing it to the right level. So yeah, my surprise, there's not as much gap scheme stuff, kind of, sort of, because it seems like it'd be easier to teach a young group how to, hey, you got a guy inside of you, down block, because you're going to pull her, or pull her's coming right behind you. So um, I'm a little surprised by it, but I think at the same time, they're trying to figure out what they have with all of this, these new pieces. And it feels like the Oklahoma State was the first game where they actually had that click in place that the team was sort of the way, executing at the way that it kind of wants to be. Last one, and we'll let you get out of here, Jeff. If Iowa State's going to have success offensively in this game, do you think it's as simple as, hey, Rocco Beck's got to have a big day throwing the football, Jalen Knowles got to have a big day, a wide receiver? Like, what does offensive success for Iowa State look like in this game to you? I think it rides a lot on Rocco's shoulders uh, just because I don't think that they're going to be able to just stand there and just punch Oklahoma in the face and and move them around. But if, I mean, the the Iowa State has given up one sack this entire season so the the offensive line as bad as they've been in the combination blocks in the running game they've been really good in pass protection and then Rocco I think has one interception two interceptions I mean is generally smart with the ball so the thing that the that he and the offensive line are built to do is be efficient decisive and accurate in the passing game so if you're able to do that Oklahoma then has to take those safeties and allot them into positions to stop RPO stuff stop play action passing game stop an all over the field type throwing uh, setup, but that then opens up everything up to actually run the game. But if Rocco's off and they're not able to throw the ball effectively, 
then Oklahoma can keep that extra safety. They can stay pushed in the box, and Iowa State's not good enough to move them around. So this is a situation where it's not necessarily run to open up the passing game. It's kind of the reverse, which is you have to throw to back them out to be able to open up the running game. So if Rocco has a good game, the offense has the capacity to execute at a, at a decent clip, but if they're inefficient or he's off on Saturday, then it could be a long day for Iowa State. Jeff, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for the time. You coming to the game? Uh, I am not making my way down to Norman. I got uh, I got a little got Drake, so I call for call for games for Drake football. Uh, they got a got a noon kickoff, so be calling the Drake Bulldogs. There you go, man. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for everything. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Jeff Woody speaking our language, Ted. That's good stuff. Yeah, he he knows that football team um, enough to be frustrated with some parts of it, which is awesome. Um, but I mean, that's a lot of good information. I could have could have listened to him talk about them for an hour. That was good stuff. Yeah, him and I we were in college at the same time. I remember Jeff. Right, that is a uh, that's a tough dude, man. That's a physical dude. So you could you could see the physical pain it causes him that the run game can't get going. It's very similar to me talking about OU's offensive line and how they're struggling to get the run game going. I, I feel like Jeff and I are experiencing similar pain. Yeah, and it's a tough thing, too, because like the way their football team is set up, I they need the run game. I, they need the run game to be successful. Right. All right, let's preview the best games of Week 5 in college football. But first... John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie and tell them we sent you, and they'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years. They're family-owned and operated, and no matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open to 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. College football week five. Let's start in Boulder, Colorado. Number eight, USC heads to take on Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffaloes. 11 a.m. Central on Fox. Big noon kickoff will be there. Currently, USC is a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. And, Ted, I'm not going to lie. This feels like a lose-lose situation for USC. But everyone expecting them to go completely destroy Colorado after what Oregon did to them. 
And then you've got the USC defense situation. They they got to start showing some improvement, right? I, I mean, they absolutely have to. After what Oregon's defense just did to Colorado, the Trojans' defense, they can't go there and give up like 21 or 28 to Colorado or else the heat that is already on Alex Grinch and that defensive staff, that, that heat will turn up even more, right? Yeah, and... You know, unfortunately for them, I, I think some of the stuff that Colorado does and some of the stuff that you see is is likely to give them some issues, maybe some explosive plays here and there and then hit on some stuff. I expect USC and go in to go in there and handle this game fairly easily, but you know, I I do think that Colorado's probably gonna put up some points. And that's gonna make USC fans uneasy, just like you said, because you know the comparison is going to be there, right? Oregon's one of the top teams in the Pac-12, and when you have a common opponent, that's what everyone's going to do is see how one team handled it and then see how the other handled it. And while I think USC wins it and wins it probably convincingly, I don't think they're going to handle it the way Oregon did. And, you know, being on the road as opposed to, you know, being like Oregon had them at home, and that was a huge, huge matchup, I think, it's a little bit different dynamic going into it. So I think you're right as a lose-lose situation. it's There's going to be complaints coming out of this game, I feel, for USC. Yeah. I, I'm i excited to watch Caleb Williams in this game. The guy is he, – he's a showman, right? I mean, you just watch the way he plays, but he understands – he knows how many people are still going to be watching this game, even though Colorado got destroyed last week by Oregon. He knows the type of numbers this game's going to do from a viewership standpoint. And I'm sure he's also seen, you know, a lot of the chowder around Shadur Sanders and how well he had been playing up until last week. I don't know, man. I just get the sense he's going to want to prove a point. Like a little bit of a reminder, like, oh, Colorado's been getting all this attention. You guys have been giving Shadur Sanders all this attention. Don't forget who the best player in college football is. And I don't know. I just feel like he's going to put on an absolute show. And I would assume Zachariah Branch is going to be a big part of that show because that dude is an electric factory. My goodness. Yeah, he is. Um, I, USC goes as Caleb Williams goes. And I, it does feel like at times with him, like the bigger the stage, the better he is. And this may be that game where he absolutely shows out. I mean, he's going to do some, some unbelievable stuff. He always does. Um, but yeah, I, he, he's going to have that extra motivation in this game. And typically that plays really well for him. That's like, he's a spotlight guy. Yeah, no doubt. Now there's also the Colorado side of things. Like, what's that team look like after what happened to them a week ago, right? What type of fight do they show? Because adversity has now struck, right? Are they are they a front-runner type of group? Or does Coach Prime have enough guys made of the right stuff to come out and battle their asses off against a team that's better than them and more talented than them? I just I'm I'm just interested in what it looks like on the Colorado side of things. This is probably the last game where we're really focused on what Colorado looks like, right? As 
as reality sets in a little bit, but I'm interested. I'm certainly, uh, I'm sure Deion Sanders is interested in how his guys respond and how they play in this one as well. I think that that's kind of a fun storyline going into this game. No, I agree. And, you know, listen to to some of the the quotes coming out of some of media availability with Dion. I I like the mindset and I kind of like where he's at. And he's he's gonna crank the pressure up on his guys, it sounds like. And you know, it sounds like they are maybe some of their more talented players. I think some of the spotlight and success perhaps has gotten to to them and I think it's going to be back to work for them in, 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 in some regards, but I, I just, I don't know how much that's going to matter against USC. I, as long as they put up some points and put up some numbers, it's probably good enough for Colorado, but going back to what you said, I think it's, that's the right way to look at this is there's almost no scenario where USC comes out of this thing unscathed. Yeah. Like even if they win 49 to nothing, it's like, Oh, they should have Colorado's no good. Right. Now, if they win 49 to 35, then not good. Not going to yeah. be good. So we'll, uh, right. yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right. Let's move on to our next game. Interesting one. Number 24, Kansas. Yeah. You heard that correctly. Number 24, Kansas goes to Austin to take on number three, Texas. This game will be 230. On ABC, currently Texas is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. Ted, I've been really impressed with Texas's O-line and D-line so far this season. I I think they are a better football team than Kansas. But that's a pretty substantial line against Jalen Daniels in that fun Kansas offense. It is. I, I don't know, man. This game is... It falls at a horrible place for Texas, obviously right in front of OU Texas. And, you know, Texas is coming off of a, a really good performance, and you feel like it's it's good game, not so good game. Good game, not so good game for Texas. And this falls with the not-so-good game uh, line that's been going on with them. So what do we see? I, I know that Daniels – can scramble around and the playmakers that they have offensively are going to give you nightmares with all the different stuff that they do in Texas. They have not faced an offense like this yet. Everything that they've seen so far is, is pretty straightforward stuff. Like Kansas is going to do some things that really mess with your principles defensively and make you think on the fly. And Daniels is a, as a dual run past threat is super, super dangerous. Uh, I, I lead Texas. I think Texas wins the game, but I think it's going to be a, a wild game that it's going to come down to maybe the last couple of possessions. I, I would love that because I, I think this is the best Kansas team since 2008. Right. They are better on defense than I thought they were going to be. Their defensive line is playing much better than I expected them to. And the the Texas defense, they've been really good against the run. Led by Sweat and Murphy. And you mentioned it. Kansas just they stress you in a lot of ways with some of the option principles. Uh, you you throw the QB run game in there with what Jalen Daniels can do. And I really like Neil and Highshaw 
as a running back duo. Yep. I, I think both of those guys are really, really solid. So I I think Leipold will try to reduce the number of possessions in this game, maybe try to shorten it a little bit. And I, I kind of think that's their best chance in this game to play a little slower, to have viewers in that Texas offense kind of sitting over there on the sideline going, uh, we're getting a little uncomfortable, but that I am interested in to see what Ewers shows up for this one. He has been he's been up and down this season, and he is at his best, just like a lot of quarterbacks, when the pocket is clean, right? Under pressure, right? When he feels that pocket collapsing, he's not been particularly good this season. So Kansas, they're going to have to find ways to make him feel that pressure and to force him into making some mistakes with the football. If if they can't get Texas to turn it over, they're not they're not going to be competitive. They're not going to be truly competitive in this game. They have to force Texas to turn the football over a few times because, you know, man for man, they just don't match up with what Texas has got. But we'll see. A, a big part of me thinks Texas is just going to overwhelm them at the line of scrimmage and win big and hopefully set up a massive game. Next weekend in Dallas, but I don't like doubting the Jayhawks, man. I love Leipold. I love Jalen Daniels. Uh, I love that they're relevant again. It's awesome. But I just, I don't know. Maybe this one is interesting. Well, I I think that these two programs look at this game differently. Um, And while I think the culture has improved massively at Texas, and it seems to be that 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 team is in a a different mindset than than what we've seen in year, years past. Texas has lost a much worse football teams, uh, Kansas football teams, than what they're going to be hosting on Saturday. Um, and Kansas, I it whether whether people believe it or not, I, mindset in a football game matters, and. When you've lost to someone a bunch of times in a row, it matters because you have a tendency to just kind of it, not that it's okay to lose, but it doesn't hit as hard. Like Kansas is not, they're not going to be afraid of Texas at all. There's some teams that are going to say, oh, we're outmatched in this game. You know, this isn't one of the wins on the, on the schedule that we circled. That's not going to be the case for, for Kansas. Kansas has circled this game as, like the one they're going to win, and this is the game that they're going to they're going to get national attention for. Yeah, they're number twenty four; they're in the top twenty five. You'd think they'd be happy with that, but I know that they feel like they're better than that and way more dangerous than that, and they're going to approach this approach this game as such. So, I expect I expect it to be a wild football game. I do close. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I I hope it's an entertaining one because it's a fun matchup. All right, last game. Number 11, Notre Dame, heads to number 17, Duke. This will be 6.30 on ABC. Currently, Notre Dame is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I The big question for me on this one, Ted, is how does the Irish bounce back after the heartbreaker against Ohio State? This is, you know, sometimes when you've got a game like that, you're hoping you got a get-right game coming up next. This is not a get-right game 
This is a good Duke football team who smacked Clemson around. This is a tough test. I Duke is a good football team. So I I am I think we're going to learn a lot about Notre Dame and what those guys are made of. And I would assume that the Irish are going to lean on the run game with Estime. But number one thing I'm looking at is like, how does Sam Hartman respond in this game? He did not have a huge impact, or at least the impact I expected him to have on the Ohio State game. He needs to have a big impact on this game because Elko's going to have a defensive plan for the Irish, man. He's really good. So uh, I don't think, I don't think you could overlook this game if you're Notre Dame, right? They could go there and get beat. Absolutely. Yeah. This is and it's and it's one of those weird games where it's 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 similar to the Texas Kansas game where you've got a team that's traditionally just been garbage that is no longer garbage. But do your players recognize that and like like how do you treat it? You know, Notre Dame's just just played Ohio State and you know played them tough and felt they should have won that game. Are they are they looking down their nose at Duke, right? I I I can't ex- I, I can't imagine that would be the case, but kind of is human nature, and you got to fight against it here. Duke's got they got a playmaker at quarterback, and they've got a legit defense. Or they they were at one point they were top five scoring defense. I think they're still there, right? They're just that, right that, there. I mean, on the- that's that's why Elko has that job. Yeah, I mean that's he he's a defensive guy and clearly has he's he's fixed Duke's defensive issues quickly since he yeah. took over. Yeah, I I think it's going to be a, a tight game and maybe come down to a possession or two in the fourth quarter. I think it's it probably could mirror that Ohio State game quite a bit. Is it going to be that low scoring? Probably not, but I think it's going to be played in the high teens, low twenties. Yeah, I. I think Riley Leonard, the way that he plays in this game, right? It's everyone got a glimpse of it in the Clemson game. The guy is mobile. He's fun. Notre Dame's defense has been really, really good. But if Leonard can find some success, I mean, he could end up being the story of this football game when it's all said and done. It's like everyone's talking about how legit he is, but I like Notre Dame to win the game, but I think Duke's going to make it difficult as hell on them. If this game doesn't come down to the last couple of possessions in the fourth quarter, I'm I'm going to be pretty surprised because one does not simply walk into a packed Wallace Wade Stadium and walk out with a double digit win anymore, Ted. Not on Mike Elko's watch, baby. Oh, uh, it's funny. Uh, it's funny, but it's true. It's true. Um it's wild to think about, isn't it? Like all of a sudden we've got a couple of basketball teams showing what they've got uh, top 25 football and really have hardly been there at all. Really not been there at all over, you know, <laughs> a long, long time. So it's fun. You got North Carolina, Duke and uh, Kansas. They got three of the best quarterbacks in the country and Kentucky. Kentucky's undefeated too. Kentucky. There you go. It's wild, isn't it? How about that? The Blue Bloods of basketball having themselves some football success. Who's next? Villanova? UConn? No, I've seen Villanova play. (laughs) They're not next. They're not next. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first... 
Do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it is a hip thing, and the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. College football fans, are you in good hands? Because with insurance from Allstate, you'll have a winning game plan, like reliable coverage and protection for everything life throws at you. Because just like how great protection can save a football game, it can also save you money. So get protected with Allstate. Visit Allstate.com or call a local agent today to learn more. Brought to you by Allstate, you're in good hands. And Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kicks off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go with Lou Holtz. Took some arrows from Ryan Day after the the big Ohio State win. I mean, of all of the people to direct your focus at, Ryan Day, which I think maybe had a little bit too much caffeine in the second half of that game. One one too many sparks. One too many sparks. Um, He was hot. And he and he was pointing all of that uh, that energy at Lou Holtz post game, and Lou Holtz just fires back and like, "Hey, I still think you guys are soft." <laughs> I was pretty impressed that old Holtz doubled down. He doubled down. I still think you guys are soft. Now he did say, "I I I feel like we won the game," um, which didn't happen. But he's like, "Don't forget about Michigan coming up," you know. Oh, it two against Michigan. I I don't know. I thought that that was awesome that uh, Lou Holtz didn't back down, stood up, took it, and uh, fired it right back. Pressure's back on you, Ryan Day. Yeah, Lou. Lou. I I guess he. I saw something that said he went and apologized to Marcus Freeman, or like called Marcus Freeman and apologized. But I I thought it was so funny that out out of all the people that have called Ohio State soft for what Michigan's done to him the last two years, that Ryan Day was only pissed at Lou Holtz. I know it. I know it. He could find all, like, there's people in his own, like, media, the people that cover Ohio State, he could have singled out all the people in Michigan, obviously. Uh, I mean, everyone really nationally has said pretty much the exact same stuff that, that Lou Holtz said. We said the exact same thing on here. I'm glad Ryan Day didn't get a hold of it. We were like, hey, they got their ass whooped by Michigan. Uh, I mean, they got pushed around. It's just the truth, but he was he was very angry at Lou Holtz, and it was it was just wildly entertaining. I loved it. Uh, well, and here's the thing. I you gotta understand how this this game works. A lot of people that are in the college football media game are searching for for they're searching for content and they're searching for engagement. So now everyone's going to be talking shit about Ohio State 
hoping to get into a call-out game with Ryan Day, right? That's what everyone's going to be doing this week and uh, in all the weeks coming up. My goal is for Ryan Day to yell at me in his post-game press conference. Where's the Oklahoma breakdown now? Huh? Where are they now? Where's Where's Eichert and Lehman? Where are those two idiots? Raw calling us soft idiots. I, that would be so fun. Maybe maybe if OU and Ohio State can get in a semifinal against each other, we can make it happen. Ah, uh, yeah? there we go. I yeah. like that. That's a good idea. Good hey, idea. But between between Holtz getting called out by Ryan Day, did you see Dickert go after Corso? Oh, yeah. The yeah. Washington State coach. Hey, it was, a, it was a rough week for old ball coaches now, man. I know it. I know it. You know, it is interesting, though. You know how this thing works, too. Like, the game has changed. A a lot of college football, especially as people have watched Colorado, it's like, how can you get attention? How can you get a spotlight? And a lot of that is engaging in a lot of the dumb crap that you typically have always said, you know, we don't focus on any of that. Like we just focus on what happens on the field. Coaches are starting to engage with it to get some attention. And I don't know if we see more of it. And a, a lot of it is, if you'll notice, right after the win, <laughs> right? After they secure the win, not before, after they secure the win. So it is interesting. Yeah. I would love to see Venables get, get into stuff like that. It would basically turn into a wrestling promo. And I, I think he would really thrive in that situation. I agree. I agree. That's good. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? I had to go with Sean Payton. I know he's a great coach. I'm still not happy with how he handled the the takeover of Denver like publicly. It's one thing to think you're taking over a horrible situation. It's another thing to go on the record and blast the guy that had the job before you, like Sean Payton did. And it was uncharacteristic of him, right? It's almost like a karma thing to go have a 70 spot put up on your ass, isn't it? I, Hey, uh, I was waiting on someone to say it's one of the worst head coaching jobs that they've ever seen uh, with what Sean Payton's done with Denver so far this year. I I imagine there are some of those tweets out there. Yeah. That now, first of all, Miami looks like the best team in the AFC, right? Oh, they're so much fun to watch. That offense, it, it's clear. Mike McDaniel, he is, as the kids say, he is him when it comes to play calling. And the amount of speed they have at the skill spots is just insane. Now we're not gonna we're not gonna dive into what Tyreek Hill said about what uh what his vision is for his post-playing career. That was interesting, but that was, I I mean, that was as a lopsided of an NFL game as I can remember. I mean, that was, I mean, Denver got straight up embarrassed and I don't know how much longer Russell Wilson's going to be the guy there at quarterback for them. He, he still doesn't look like, the guy he used to be, I mean, he's just not, a, he just doesn't look like an effective player. And I don't he's know no how much Mr. Unlimited. He is no longer. He, I, I would say the limitations are there. 
<laughs> but hey, at least Marvin Mims is making plays. Yeah. What kickoff return for a touchdown? Yeah. I mean, he's making plays, but the uh the beatdown they took, I don't even I was on some bad NFL teams, man. Bad. But I don't how do you even feel walking into the facility after you give up 70? And it could have been 73. They could have kicked the field goal and gone for the record, and they didn't. I 73. It was 70 at like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's insane, man. Oh man, I don't know. Um but I love Mike McDaniels. I do. I feel like there's a strong chance he's on shrooms while he's calling the game. Um, but they're fun to watch. And I think that offense is going to continue to roll, man. Tua's having a hell of a year. He's the front runner for the MVP right now. Oh, there's no doubt. Right? People are talking Super Bowl. People were, I mean, you go back a year ago, too, with the concussion stuff. You're like, hey, is he going to, I mean, how much longer is this career going to go? And then. Now you're talking, hey, possible MVP, possible Super Bowl favorite. I, I mean, things change quickly. Yep. Well, and they can change quickly the other way, too. If right. you think about that concussion situation, um, which uh, I partially blame that concussion on the 49-0 to to Texas last year because I think Dylan Gabriel would have played had that the whole situation not happened. Um, but, no. Who knows? That is a I, uh that's a discussion for next week. <laughs> Actually, right. I'd prefer to just never talk about that game ever again. I I've kind of erased it from my memory. How why'd you even bring it up, man? What are you doing? But you're right. Those I, did I, that was the exact same time, and there was the optics would not have been uh not have been good. Hey, remember, Tua was super down on himself, was considering quitting football. Mike McDaniels took over, and I, we talked about it on the pod. I think I had it as my winner. Did he make like a 45-minute highlight clip for him or something? Of two yeah, of he's like, hey, man, you're good. Yeah. Look, you're good. Right, and here we go. They they are cruising right now. Mike McDaniel, big vibes guy. Big Just vibes guy. I mean, I'm, it's, I'm, I think – at some point this season, Miami's going to come out in tie-dye uniforms. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope. That'd be awesome. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first. Elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you could take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top-of-the-line heaters to keep you warm during those cold tailgate later. Those cold tailgates later in the season, they're Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free. With FFB, making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different different accounts could not be easier. Make your life easier, people, and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. 
And head to oplessclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I wouldn't classify it as a pretty win against the Rams on Monday Night Football, but hey. Got to, got to get that first win of the season. A 0-3 start would have been brutal. Bengals defense stepped up. Matt Stafford did not look like he was having a good time in that football game. Hey, the, the toughest win is the first one in the National Football League, Ted, and the Bengals are on the board. Yeah. Uh, the Rams looked like crap. Uh, offense looked uh, disjointed. But credit the Bengals for getting it done. Um I bet that was a fun atmosphere. Like that stadium was was really cool. I mean, that was a nice little weekend for Cincinnati. They had Oklahoma in town. They had uh, you know, regular season coming to a close and they're in the playoff race in baseball and then Monday night football. Pretty cool. Yeah. But my winner of the week, the number one topic in the world right now, Travis Kelsey. Dude, dude is killing it, right? Gained a ridiculous amount of followers on social media, like 400,000 new followers on Instagram. His podcast is number one on all the charts. He's selling jerseys like crazy. The Taylor Swift bump is real. I mean, it is absolutely real. I, I saw fanatics said they've seen like a 400% spike in sales of his jersey on their site. It is... It has become the biggest story in pop culture. Ted, I'm not sure if you care about it, but I know this. Travis Kelsey's killing it, man. He's killing it. I care about it only because I detest the entire thing. Oh, no. Here we go. Yeah. I, I, which Travis Kelsey is incredible tied in. I respect the hell out of the man on the football field. Pretty annoyed with him everywhere else uh, and everything else that he does. I, I will come to Kelsey's defense. Now, him and Blake Bell are boys. They're very close. I, about once a year, go to a Chiefs game, hang out with those guys afterwards. Travis Kelsey is cool as shit. He is one of the nicest, most fun dudes I've ever spent time with. Like, he is, he is awesome. He's as cool as you think he is. Like he's that fun. So I'm I I will not stand for any Kelsey slander off the field. He's a fantastic person. Now I'm I'm ready to admit that I think it's probably mainly just jealousy. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I enough. I think that's probably what it is. Uh because the dude absolutely has it going on. Um he's he he's a fantastic football player. Um I think the funniest thing about it is uh, already everyone's trying to make this a fight between <laughs> between uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and his wife and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Um, I don't know. It's it's all pretty funny. And I like I'm not gonna say it's a distraction, but Oh, it's a distraction. Did you see the scene at Arrowhead? Dude. She, I the conversation, what it's between 
Taylor Swift and Beyonce probably for who the most famous person on the planet is. Well, right now, Beyonce's had her peak, you know, and Taylor Swift is at hers now, right? Like at like right now between the two, it ain't close. But yes, I know what you I know what you're saying for like sure. Some people like Messi, right? He's got more followers, but I I feel like more people know who Taylor Swift is than Messi. But I could be wrong. I don't know, but she's one of the most famous people on the planet. If she's going to be around a lot, that's going to be a distraction. They're going to have to increase security is what they're going to have to do. Oh, because man. her fans are hardcore. Well, and plus the media always makes it worse. I, I, I'm instantly, I, I think of happy Gilmore. You remember when shooter McGavin's got the little press and he just won the tournament and they're asking him like, man, did you see that drive happy hit on, on the fourth hole? He's like, yeah, yeah, that was great. what did he finish again? Dead last. Yeah, that's right. I won. And I feel like that's going to be the case here. Like Mahomes post game threw for four touchdowns, but did you see Taylor Swift up in Travis Kelsey's box? What do you think? What's your favorite uh, Taylor Swift song? Are you a Swifty? I, I feel like we're going to get a lot of that crap. I I guarantee you we are, especially Sunday night football because they've got the Jets. Oh, and every like you know how the networks are. It's like oh, you know. If there's going to be a chance that Taylor Swift's there, we have to have this game as the prime time game. Well, it was supposed to be Mahomes versus Rodgers, right? right? When it was scheduled. Yeah. So, but now it's there there's going to be a lot of Swift Kelsey content on that broadcast because Zach Wilson stinks. Joe Namath has had enough of Zach Wilson. <laughs> you see that? Oh, uh, you're not helping, I, Joe. I feel so bad for Zach, man. I he was set this was going to be like the exact thing he needed in his career, right? To sit behind the goat and learn and watch Aaron Rodgers and have a low pressure year to get better. And nope, thrown into the mix three plays into the season, and it's all going to burn to the ground. Yeah. And it's about to burn to the ground even more on a big stage on Sunday night football. Yeah. So all those Taylor Swift fans are going to be tuned in now. So. The the ultimate winner in all of this is Roger Goodell. He has to be loving this. I mean, yeah. bringing new fans into the fold there in the NFL. He's got to be he's got to be the happiest man alive right now. Yeah, I I mean, there's marketing meetings going on in the NFL right now. What other famous uh, celebrities could football players date, and how can we try and arrange it? We need to get some crossover here and get some new fans. This is this is working. This is working. All right, Who's the best my... gamer in the world? Like, we need the gamers to start watching NFL. Who who doesn't watch the league yet? Let's <laughs> find him. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with the Chicago Cubs. Now, I do not watch baseball until the playoffs, but sad Cubs fans were all over my Twitter timeline. Cubs in an intense battle for that last wild card spot there in the NL. Bottom of the eight. Tuesday night against the Braves. Two outs. Pretty routine ball to right field. And Suzuki just missed it. I it just I don't know if it got caught in the lights or what. Just just missed the ball. Ended and up it's losing two eight, outs. seven. It is two outs, so everyone on base is running. Like they're they're cruising. Oh, that was I don't know what happened. I 
I don't know. That was, I feel bad for that guy. You know what happens in that place whenever you make a mistake? Ooh, not good. No, not good. But my loser of the week, European golf. Yeah, that's right. Because the red, white, and blue is about to beat that ass, baby. Let's go, USA, USA. Ryder Cup this week in Rome, Ted. It it always sneaks up on me because it's during football season. What are we thinking? I'm excited. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it seems to be that there's a lot of – everything that I've seen, and it's not much, but it looks like a lot of people are really confident and – I, if it wasn't in Europe, everyone would be like the U.S. is going to win and win this thing big. But since it's been so long, that's like what's holding everyone back from saying they're going to take this thing, right? I, I don't know. I, the Americans have not won on European soil in thirty years. Now, the U.S. is the betting favorite, right? They're expected to win. And you look at the European side. I love Rom. I love Hovland. I love Rory, but not this week. Beat it, yeah. nerds. I this is the one time I I never I never really have like national pride when I'm watching PGA golf, but the, for some reason the Ryder Cup it's very similar to the Olympics for me. It's like, no, forget those guys. Let's go America. It's the only time I feel that way in golf. Well, that's how it's supposed to be. That's that's what's so great about it. And and yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be cool. And boy, Xander Shoffley pulling on that cigar looked like he knows something, right? <laughs> he he looks confident as hell. It made oh me feel God. better about things. I know that. I agree. I was like, all right, he got some weed in that cigar. What's going on here? <laughs> He's winking at people. He just like, dude, could not look more confident. But couple things. I really hope Justin Thomas plays well, right? I'm cheering for that guy. It it was it was a huge storyline when when he got na- when he was one of the captains picked, right? I hope it goes well for him. I hope it's it's not a story, right? The way that he plays. I also I think I want to be entertained, so I want Max Homa to play really well. Dude is so likable. It's first, right? Yeah, and, and he's be. so likable and. I just feel like he would be a guy that would have a lot of fun with it if he plays well and they end up winning. But you also got a couple first-timers for the U.S. and Harmon and Wyndham Clark. So we'll see what those guys are are, are going to do. It's got to be nerve-wracking for it to be, uh, be your first time. But this is something I was thinking about. What's your favorite format? A lot of people love the singles, right? It's awesome and kind of one-on-one. But I, I tend to love the foursome format because I feel like it's the most it's the closest to making golf like a team game. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, is that the one where is the foursome where they hit the, they do the alternate shot? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I like the most. So so there's four ball, right? Where everyone's playing their own ball, lowest score. And then you've got the foursome where you're, where you're alternating. I like that. That's yeah. It's fun. That's fun for sure. It's good. USA, USA. Got to got to work some golf in among all the football. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult, but we can do it, man. No, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be going to be really cool. Know nothing about that course. I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure it's not terrible. All right, 
Birthday shout outs. They're at the end. Okay. That's we're, we're going to try this and see how it goes. Welcome to the world. Jackson, Arthur and Oliver Brooks. Welcome to the world. Hudson Fink. Welcome to the world. Matteo Kerwin Teeters. And happy upcoming fifth birthday to Camille Hewitt. Happy seventh birthday to William Asher Hutchison. Happy ninth birthday to Eli and Hunter Ferguson. Happy 10th birthday to Jackson Galvin. Happy 23rd birthday to Kate Hilliard. Happy 28th birthday to Corey Farmers Tan Tifton. Happy 30th birthday to Miranda Jones. Happy 30th birthday to Sydney Fink. Happy 34th birthday to Austin Booth. Happy 50th birthday, Big 5 to Will Wiles. Happy birthday to Jared Deck. Happy birthday to Jude Deck. Happy birthday to Megan Brewer. And last but certainly not least, happy birthday to Brooke Lacey. Nice. A lot rolling in this time of the year, man. So, yeah, that's why we moved him to the end. And on that note, episode 357 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref, and you can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the game. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. What you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time